Hey, it's Larry. Uh, Thanks for listening. Happy New Year. Real quick, before we get into this episode, I had such an amazing, eye-opening, life-changing experience at the World Parkinson Congress in Kyoto that I want others to have that opportunity, too. So Becca Miller and I and 24 of our PD community friends have launched a year-long WPC Travel Grant Fundraiser. We're each doing a two-week Facebook fundraiser. Mine's underway right now because my birthday's January 9th. All the money raised will be used to help offset travel costs so more people with young-onset Parkinson's can attend the next WPC in Barcelona in 2022. You can search out details on the When Life Gives You Parkinson's Facebook page or donate directly to the WPC website. Go to wpc2022.org slash yopdfund. If you or your business would like to supply matching funds... Hey, good on you. Email me at parkinsonspot at curiouscast.ca. And now, on with the show. Well, it's time for another extra dosage episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. These are those in-between bits, special bonus content to get you through to the next full episode. Hi there, I'm Larry Gifford along with Nikki Reitmeyer. And this week, Larry and I were special guests at Kwantlen Polytechnic University. Dr. Diane Crisp, she teaches a psychology course, and this course is all about brain science. So they study stuff like Parkinson's disease, why it happens, how it occurs in the brain, and all of that scientific information. We spoke for about 45 minutes and we pared that down to the best questions that those students had about Parkinson's disease, which might be questions you have too. Yeah. Do you have good grip strength? Uh, I've got good grip strength with my left hand. Uh, Once I latch onto something, I can still grip it fairly well, but it's harder to, to get there slower. I'm not good at catching things that are falling with my right hand. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not so well. It's, it's harder to eat. It's harder to, uh, you know, just to like try to use chopsticks to eat your sushi. My friends are like, dude, just give it up. <laughs> yeah, he has questions. Go over there quick. Did you have a depression symptoms nine years ago were those part of the symptoms that you had no no some people that's the first symptom they get and everybody's different um what's interesting before i was diagnosed people i I, i'm from ohio i'm originally from the united states and i've lived all over the states uh so we have a lot of facebook friends my wife and i and facebook friends would say larry doesn't look is he okay and so from afar, more people could notice changes in me than, than we noticed at home. It doesn't look as happy. It doesn't look as jolly. It doesn't, you know, just sort of there's, and there is another symptom of Parkinson's is just kind of this masking of your emotions on your face. So Larry, what does the future hold for you? Is there a cure for Parkinson's? I'm going to die. <laughs> no. Uh, Parkinson's won't kill me. Um, it could lead to things that do kill me, uh, but... Um, you know, we're all going to die at some point. Uh, for me, you know, I sh- once we get my meds figured out, I, you know, I should be able to live a long, happy life. You know, the lifespan is pretty typical for anybody else. It's just you've got to deal with a bunch of other crap along the way. But everybody's got their stuff. This is just what I got to deal with. So Parkinson's won't actually kill you. No. But symptoms related to Parkinson's could cause you harm. Like, let's say you're having trouble walking, you slip and fall. Yeah, the biggest, the biggest. Um, issue that people have, especially as they get older, is falling. Uh, it leads to broken bones or worse, um, uh, and it's real. I've, I've fallen in public and, you know, uh, didn't break anything, luckily, but, you know, 
you forget you have Parkinson's sometimes. And um, early on, right after my diagnosis, I, I take the bus a lot, and there was a bus that had pulled up, and I was about, yeah, I don't know, I, I wasn't too far away. I just had to turn the corner. I could catch the bus stop. So I was, you know, a 10-second jog away. And so I went to jog, and my left side moved, went, went forward, and my right side didn't. And I went smack on the on the on the sidewalk, and uh, the bus stopped. That was good. They waited for me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it's yeah. That's uh, when that happens. It's like uh, it's so depressing. Uh, it's because you're not you anymore. You can't just do the things you did all your life. So it's a, it's a wake up call. You mentioned when you were getting diagnosed, they, they thought you might have had multiple sclerosis. But <clears throat> I imagine not knowing what was wrong was very concerning. Were you relieved in any way just getting a diagnosis? Uh, to be able to call it something, yeah. Well, and it, 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 it actually brought, brought the picture more clear. So I didn't realize all the symptoms that were related to Parkinson's. So you, you collect all these symptoms along the way prior to diagnosis. And with the diagnosis, you can look back and go, oh, that, I lost my sense of smell. Yeah, I didn't know that was Parkinson's. Oh, yeah, I, I, I've been walking weird for nine years. Oh, I didn't know that was Parkinson's. And like this collection of things um, that, uh, so there is relief to it to know that, A, you know what it is, and B, they kind of know how to treat the symptoms. I just had a question. Um I don't know if it's true or not, or this was like years ago, so like in the late 90s, but they were saying that Parkinson's, it like it's hereditary, but like it's to the opposite gene. So like my grandpa's mom had it, and then her two of her sons had it, but then they called in my mom and her siblings and said that my mom and her sister were probably going to be a bit more at risk for it compared to their brother. But like, I don't know, is that true? So I'm actually involved in... Uh, um uh, global genetic research right now uh, for Parkinson's um, uh, and they've got a great study going on right now over at UBC with Dr. Ferrer uh, and I've spent a lot of time in that lab and asking those types of questions and the there are 70 some gene mutations that are now connected to Parkinson's disease and they expect there to be hundreds of more um, it is there's there's no there's, there's no common wisdom now other than it's hereditary from both sides and you have to have the gene coming down both sides, but it can skip five or six generations. Um, so, uh, and it may be that you have to have both those genes and the environment and the diet or the gut health or, you know, they're, they're, they're digging into all sorts of things. Everybody has a theory and there's, there's not a lot of... Uh, uh, proof yet that there's any one thing. So, yeah, there, there's certainly people that are getting this from uh, from the, their genes, uh, but they don't know exactly how or why or when or where, or, and they're trying to find that out. Does anyone else have any other? Uh, you mentioned diet and exercise, and on the slide I see you boxing, and there's a handful of vitamins. Um, were there any recommendations for uh, dietary changes that would ease the effects of the Parkinson symptoms? Uh, well, they, so the diet and exercise are both general recommendations. Uh, there are Parkinson-specific exercise classes. Uh, I, that's uh, 
Parkinson's Wellness Center in New West, where I was. They just uh, had their grand opening this last weekend. This is my physiotherapy. So right now I'm doing physiotherapy um, and trying to, to get in shape that way. And, and there's all sorts of classes uh, that they recommend. But the neurologist will, won't ever tell you exactly what to do in regards to exercise. Um, and then the, the vitamins and the gut health. I, so I take a probiotic every day just because it could help. <laughs> um, and my diet, they didn't give me any specific dietary restrictions or, or recommendations other than uh, as it relates to the medication. So the levodopa will not um, be as effective if I eat it uh, around the time where I have protein. So I have to make sure that a half hour before I take the pill or an hour and a half after, I don't have any protein or I won't get the full effects of the levodopa. When you take the L-Dopa, do you get like a rush or a sense of well-being from it? Uh, in about, it takes about 20 minutes for it to kick in. Uh, and uh, for, for me, it's more of a calm. So like you'll see, I'm, you know, sometimes I rock or sometimes I, I tremor. And that all sort of stops and I get a more clear, focused or clear. Uh, and then I, I, it's just everything is just a little easier. All these medications and recommendations from the neurologist—it's, you know—it's all hit and miss because everybody's Parkinson's is individualized. So as as they do research, as they try to find a cure for Parkinson's, they're not trying to find one cure for Parkinson's. They're trying to find a cure for everybody's individual Parkinson's, which is a much bigger job. I came in a little late, but I just had a question about uh, deep brain stimulation. Yeah, and if you wanted to speak to that. Well, deep brain stimulation uh, is uh, very effective in some people. I know some. I have some friends who've had deep brain stimulation to great success. Um, the technology's been around for about 20 years now. It can be very effective. It's for late-stage Parkinson's. Uh, I'm not there yet. I'm not considering it. I'm glad the technology exists, although that's about as new of a treatment as they have, and it's 20 years old. Uh, so we definitely need to raise more money for research uh, to develop better uh better treatments what would you say is the hardest part of having parkinson's disease uh, my loss of certainty uh going through life and not knowing uh if i'm going to fall on my next step not knowing um if what i tell my body to do that it will do uh, after you know 45 years of just living life like anybody else and then suddenly i no longer have the control over myself as I thought I did. Um, are you right-handed or left-handed? I'm right-handed. Right-handed. So when you are not on L-Dopa, I assume that affects your dexterity a lot. Have you had to relearn to write in your left hand, or do you... I don't write much anymore. I don't type much anymore. I have people that help me take notes in meetings, uh, even without the L-Dopa or with the L-Dopa. Like, my handwriting is very tiny now. Uh, and I can't keep up with the conversation where I used to take copious notes in meetings and stuff. Like I, I had a meeting with Nikki yesterday and at the end of the meeting I looked down and all I had was the date and her name at the top. I was just about to say, I literally had a meeting with Larry yesterday and I noticed you wrote down my name and you were like, all right, that's good. We're good. <laughs> Whereas before you would have taken copious amounts of notes through yeah. a meeting. So imagine, you know, you guys are going to school now, think of all the notes that you have to take. And then later in your careers, think of all the notes that you're going to have to take in any given hour sitting in any kind of office environment and not being able to do that. Anyone else? No. 
kind of work that you do, Larry, is very creative. Have you noticed any impact on your creativity? Um, uh, uh, well, creativity is very subjective, so mm-hmm. I think I'm genius. <laughs> um, I, I, not so much my creativity, but my ability to stay focused for longer per- long periods of time uh, is harder now. Like I used to be able to go in and just give it my all for 10 hours if I wanted to. And now 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm beginning to... to be distracted quite a bit. Uh, I was going to say, you've talked about a lot of treatments like uh, the CBD oil, physio. You talked about taking L-DOPA and doing, there's also the deep brain. Uh, but do you think it's enough? Like, oh, there's all these different treatments, but as you mentioned, it, it, they don't all work for everybody. Do you think there's... No, no, yeah. there's not enough. There's not near enough. Um, you know, trying to sleep for three months is... It's crazy. Uh, I, I started uh, on a antidepressant over the weekend, um, which is you know I, I got off the the CBD oil, tried the antidepressant that my neurologist recommended called mirtazapine, uh, which they uh, prescribe to people with Parkinson's quite a bit because it can uh, combat a couple of the different symptoms all at once: the the anxiety, the depression, and sleep issues. I took a half a pill, and I felt the effects for two days, and I felt like a zombie. Uh, and I'm like, you know, I've got a nine-year-old son, and I've got a job. But like, a lot of the people with Parkinson's are retired. They're or on long-term disability, and uh, they, they have the flexibility uh, and the ability to, to not do something all day or to not be active or to, to take a nap in the afternoon. Uh, and that's, that's, that's where the research needs to go is to the young onset. Um, because I want, I want to work, and I, w- I want to be a great dad. Um, and right now, I have a really hard time being present for my son after working nine hours at the office. Um, he misses his dad. Um, I just had uh, like a question about the the onset. Like you were saying that it could be a genetic thing, but also like environmental. Or um, are what are what are some? I not triggers, I guess, but like. When you mean by environmental, like, do you mean like a traumatic event or like? Uh, well, uh, again, the research is subject to further scientific review, uh, but uh, they're they're talking about like um, chemicals that they use on farms, like the heavy chemicals. So, so any mass amounts of poison. Whether it's in the water or in the in your food, or if you're working around it or living around it, um, they 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 believe that that plays a role, but they don't know exactly how. Um, when you're talking about like not being able to sleep, how much would you think uh, some of that has to do with you're talking about anxiety and uncertainty of the future? Do you think some of that plays a part as well? Just. I suppose it could. I, I don't wake up anxious per se. Uh, I just am done sleeping uh, way too soon. <laughs> so, like this morning, I woke up at three, and I was done. So I've been up for you know, that's oh, six hours. I can't do math. Seven, eight hours. But not being able to do math, that's not a side effect. That's not a side effect, Mark. <laughs> that's, that's just the regular C university student in me. You said your nine-year-old son was, is missing you and you're having less time. 
uh, being with them? How has that impacted with your lifestyle and your family support? Well, it leads to um, lots of conversations with them. Uh, we talk about it uh, quite a bit. Uh, you know, there's some weekends where I'm, I feel okay, and we go out and we'll do maybe a light hike or we'll, we'll go do some activities. And there's some weekends where we've made plans to be with people, and I'm like, I can't do it. And so either they have to go alone or we have to call it off. Um, some afternoons it comes 2 o'clock on a Saturday, and I'm like, I'm, i got to take a nap. That's prime time for a nine-year-old. Um, and so um, I've got to be, I've got to listen to my body first. Uh, and then I've, you know, I've got to, you know, react to him and be with him as much as I can. So, um, you know, we, we, we do uh, less strenuous activities than we used to. Um, and so we'll build Lego together or, you know, play cars or, um, or just sit on the chair and watch a, watch a good show or something together, like Funniest Home Videos. He loves that. Um, but um, it's, it's not as... It's, I'm not throwing them around in the air like I used to. Um, just walking around in normal life now, do you try to like, challenge yourself to like, walk upstairs and stuff? Uh, for example, when you're coming to the campus today, did you take the elevator? Or I upstairs? took the elevator. Yeah, fair enough. I didn't want to come in with a bloody nose. <laughs> uh, sometimes I do. It depends on how I'm feeling. Um, but uh, with, with, with the sticks, I can go faster, which actually helps me keep up with my son. Um, where before, like without the sticks, my, my certainty was so shattered that I was really, really slow. And so the, the walking sticks really help with that. Um, and then I, you know, I challenge myself in my exercise. And so if I if I realize I feel like I haven't worked out as hard as I could have, maybe I'll, you know, go to the third bus stop instead of the first one. Get get some more walking in. Um, I know there are many. Many societies that used to have uh, biphasic sleep um, where they, uh, they had siesta, and the whole culture was built around siesta time. And they've found that it's actually very good for people's overall sleep um, and sleep architecture. And I'm wondering, in your case, even though it would impact your family life, um, whether you would consider having two different sleep episodes a day rather than trying to get it all done at once. So if you get up at three in the morning, that's your one, and then you have another one in the afternoon. It'd be great if I didn't have a job. Yeah, uh, for sure. I used to do that. When I used to work the all-nights in radio, uh, I would you know, sleep uh, first thing when I got back for a couple of hours, have a day, and then uh, later in the afternoon, I'd sleep for four more hours and then get up and get ready and go to work. Uh, so I've done that. Uh, I'm not opposed to it, but right now, just the the, the work life won't won't permit that. I suppose I could ask for it, but then um, I'm not sure I'm there yet. But that's not a bad idea. Although we are currently renovating the radio station, and Larry is my boss, so maybe like I would also petition maybe for put a nap, a napping room, a nap room. <laughs> yeah. We all wake up pretty early for work. I would petition yeah. for a nap room too. Is there any other questions? I was going to say, um, 
uh, like you mentioned how you know uh, when you jogged for the bus stop you you tripped and you know it it yeah. sounds like running would be dangerous is there any activity that is dangerous but you still perform it either because you enjoy it or it, you just have to eating beef uh no uh, um no i mean in, in fact uh if in physio in a, in a safe space my jog is not as affected as my walk so if she gets me jogging and and there we're on mats or whatever i can actually jog better than i can walk uh which is how the brain is crazy and mysterious and wonderful um but in the, the, I, I don't take a lot of risks. There's, uh, for me, it's like I, I, I want to build up my confidence. I don't want to tear myself down. Larry, I had so much fun speaking to the students at KPU. I did too. I didn't really want to leave, but they were kind of shoving us out the door. So well, they had to get back to their regular work. It couldn't just be fun, fun, fun with us. <laughs> That's right. And that is your extra dosage. As always, very grateful to have Parkinson Canada as a partner for this podcast. And you can find more information at parkinson.ca. On the next episode of When Life Gives You Parkinson's. When I was 12 years old, my parents noticed I would like trip over my feet and kind of drag them a bit. So they thought I had like hip alignment issues. And when were you diagnosed with YLPD? I was diagnosed with gone onset Parkinson's disease at age 24. And I didn't know really what was going on. I'd retired. And so I thought, well, maybe this is an effect of retirement. My GP recommended me to a psychiatrist. And after some period of time, he said, I think you should see a neurologist because I think you might have Parkinson's. And when I'm like having a really bad anxiety attack or turning into a panic attack, I feel like I need something that I don't have. <sighs> Especially my anxiety, my panic attacks, it's been really hard. Thank you for listening. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. While you're there, give the show a rating and feel free to comment. You give us a good rating. Somebody gave us a one. What's Why? that about? What is Why? that about? That's horrible. <laughs> uh, the more the podcast grows, the more attention Parkinson's receives, the more money we can raise for research, and the closer we come to a cure. Uh, you can also engage with us on social media. It's at Parkinson's Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We've got a little Facebook group out, uh, on the on the Parkinson's oh, Pod very page. Cool. Yeah, so come t- chat with us. You can also email Nikki and me at uh, Parkinson's Pod at CuriousCast.ca. Keep positive. Keep exercising. And keep listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.